You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Good morning, Schweitzer. I'm David Freeman, the director of the facilities ministry at Schweitzer. And this morning, we're continuing in our study on community. We started off with Serve Sunday, and then Bob uh, preached on barbecue and baseball, I, yeah, and, and maybe the Trinity. And then Jake uh, last week was talking about uh, growing in community. And this week, we get to talk about what happens almost naturally, sometimes without even trying, when we grow in community, and that is community worship. Frankly, this is a challenging sermon for me to preach. It's full of too much mystery. Stand with me, if you will. We're going to start off by reading a passage out of John. And uh, we're going to read three passages from three conversations uh, that Jesus had with people. This is the first one. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Will you repeat that last verse with me? God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The word of God for the people of God. Oh, thank you, Father. You may be seated. Thank you. I'm going to use a few working definitions, all right? Worship is giving God his due. In spirit is the Holy Spirit in me giving God the Father his due. Truth. Truth is having an accurate understanding of reality. Now, let's look at John 14, 6, though, for a little more definition of what is truth. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me, even in worship. So, okay, we're supposed to give God his due in the Holy Spirit in us and Jesus in us, giving the Father his due. Whoa, there's the Trinity. Those who worship God is spirit and those who worship him must worship through the other two elements of the Spirit. I, this is challenging to even comprehend, much less talk about. So I'm going to try to illuminate it with a story. So when I was leading trips at Discovery Ministries, there's a, a youth minister whose name is Matt Mitchell. And for seven years, he brought his older youth to do a nine-day wilderness challenge trip in the middle of 95 degrees, 95% humidity, all the biting, stinging insects and snakes you care for, all packed into one glorious nine-day period. At the end of our, the third year, at the end of the trip, we came out of a cave. And we were all kind of circling up. And Matt turned to the other adult sponsor who had come on that trip, Emily. And he said, Emily, I think that you need to pray out loud. And I think you need to look each of us in the eye as you do it. And Emily went, okay, okay. And Emily started praying. And as Emily started praying, her countenance changed. 
and her smile just became this incredible smile and her eyes started sparkling and the whole group kind of felt it and all of a sudden a gentle rain started falling while the sun was shining and all of us in that group we couldn't help it we just it was the, the, the position that Bob teaches us to attain, you know, to kind of welcome the Holy Spirit. We just kind of did it without trying. Oh, God was there. It was as if he stepped in and said, this is great, and I'm right in the circle with you. This is, I'm, I'm breathing in this aroma. I hope you are too, and we're all growing right now. I've loved rain ever since. That group... After that experience, they put on their 40-pound backpacks and they walked up a hill that was the steepest hill we had in that itinerary for that time. Steep hill, slick rocks, and they flew up the hill like they had wings on their feet, laughing and singing the whole way. So I think there are two groups who benefit from community worship in ways that, that... We just don't benefit from worship alone. Yes, I worship alone. Yes, people tell me, you know, I can worship in the deer woods better than I can at church. Mm, I hope you change your mind after this service. So the first group that benefits is the Trinity. Bob, two weeks ago, said, and this was a new thought to me that just got me excited about preaching today. The love between the Trinity is so real. They wanted to create and expand that community. Something about the spirit, about the the trinity, telling each other how cool they are, and then they give us the ability to do that too, and somehow the trinity, it's, it's, the Bible calls it a fragrant aroma. It tries all sorts of ways to tell us what the trinity, why God wants to commune with us, and it's a mystery. I don't get that. That's the best that I can attempt even explain it, but somehow when we are worshiping in in the Holy Spirit in us and Jesus in us and the Spirit, the the, the Trinity, I think does that to some extent. And, And Gary Potts, this is great, he said, you know, community worship is good practice for what we are going to be doing for eternity. Okay, the second group that benefits from worship in ways that there's got to be more ways than we have time to talk about in this service. I'm just going to hone in on a couple. Is us, the worshipers. John 8, 31 through 32. So here's another conversation Jesus was having with another person. And he said, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples of mine, and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. That word keeps popping up. Worship God in spirit and in truth, and you will know the truth. Who's the truth? Jesus. That is right. Jesus is the truth. The only way to have an accurate view, an accurate understanding of our reality is through Jesus. So somehow, he wants to set us free through knowing him. And somehow, when we worship together, the the spirit inside the spirit inside you and the Jesus inside you, somehow when you start worshiping, you egg the spirit and the, and the Jesus inside me on, and I may learn things from you that I never knew about worship, about the Lord, which in turn makes it so that I can worship in more truth. And we just have this great spiral together when we are worshiping together. Now, Jesus is a great facilitator, so he wants us to be free. Free from what? 
Yeah, sin in all its various forms. I mean, you name it. Jesus wants us to be free, and he will try to free us in, in, in worship and in other times of life. Here's one tool that I think Jesus uses to try to free us. It's uh, called a 10-second rule. Claire de Graff wrote a short book about this, and, and here's the 10-second rule. Just do the next thing you're reasonably certain Jesus wants you to do, and do it immediately before you change your mind. <laughs> How many of you have been there? Yeah, you get that little scary prompt, and you go, okay, but wait a minute. And you can talk yourself out of it just like that. I mean, it happens in worship. It happens in daily life. And Claire de Graff throws this poignant scripture again from John. If you love me, you will obey what I command. So we're in community worship. The, the Jesus in us and the Holy Spirit in us is worshiping the Father. And it's this great thing. And Jesus wants to set us free. And he is the ultimate facilitator. Now, I facilitated people in all sorts of adrenaline sports. If somebody is afraid of heights, how do you get them over it? You get them on heights. You start off low. You work your way higher. Eventually, they can stand at great heights usually with great respect. We, we try to keep a healthy amount of fear. And uh, if you have pride in your life, what's the way to get you over that? From a facilitative standpoint, is to maybe ask you to do some things that seem foolish. I'm just saying. Uh, one of the things I really appreciate about Claire de Graff's book is he talks about that. He says, yes, following the 10-second rule kind of has changed my life because I'm more quick to obey the Lord. And there have been times when I did it and afterward I just felt foolish. And frankly, it cost me money or it cost me time and I saw no outcome that would make me run to church and tell a story to get other people to do it. Now there are times when, when I follow the 10 second rule and it's great, it's wonderful, I feel right where I'm supposed to be doing what I'm, right what I'm supposed to be doing. But there are times when I feel foolish. He says, and I wonder if Jesus does that on purpose. So as I was talking with my beautiful bride, Colette, about this, and about worship, and about the, you know, I, I don't want to try to force people into doing things. I'm not just trying to stand up here and say exactly what we need to do or not do in worship. I'm just throwing out principles. She said, you know, each person is responsible for his or her own worship. That means if I need to take care of my child or I need to cough, I don't need to feel guilt because I'm disrupting the service because everybody around me is responsible to stay in tune with the Spirit. And really, the distractions that I create physically, tangibly, are no more distracting than the distractions that each of us have when we tend to run to our happy place during the service. It's just as challenging to stay totally present in my mind when things are going perfect as it is when things are going a little bit uncomfortable for me. And it's, it's challenging when we feel pushed, she, she continued to say, when we feel pushed by what is socially acceptable, when we are truly worshiping and feel a spiritual compulsion to do an act of worship. Because culturally, we all worship in different ways. I mean, each person is a culture in and to themselves, each family, much less you start talking about regional differences or national differences. And it's very challenging to give each other freedom to worship in your own culture and yet worship together as a body in a way that's loving and respectful to those around, oh, it's a mystery. Oh. But basically, Colette said, the only thing that each of us can do is have a connection with the Lord and do what he intends for that time. I think worship 
requires challenging investments of resources. Let me tell you the rest of the story about Matt and Emily. So, unbeknownst to me, a tradition developed with Matt Mitchell on those challenge trips. After the first year, the kids started counting the amount of bug bites Matt had on his legs. All right? The third year he was there, the year in the story that I told you about, he had 3,000 bug bites on each leg. Okay, I have a hard time believing that. So let me, let me just think that my memory was inaccurate and he only had 1,500 bug bites on each leg, 3,000 total. That's still a lot of bug bites. Matt knew how to get skin in the game, right? And I asked him, Matt, why in the world? You're a bug magnet and you're coming to Bug Central for growth for your youth group. What are you doing? He said, well, there are two reasons why I keep doing it year after year. One, the effect on the kids is great. I see them grow by leaps and bounds, and they go back in the year, and they practice what we learn here, and it does so much great things for the youth group. But the second reason, oh, when we go out on solo for 24 hours by ourselves, and you put me out there with just water, the Bible, and minimal shelter, I meet God. I don't know how to explain it any more than that, David. Emily. Emily, when she showed up, here's an adult sponsor coming on a youth trip, and at the first of that trip, Emily kind of uneasily told us, you know what? I am afraid to pray out loud. And here I am, a follow, an adult follower of Jesus, and I think that I need to learn to pray out loud because I think... I'm missing something. I mean, I, it just feels like the Lord wants me to learn to pray out loud. So we had, during that trip, kind of given her a few opportunities starting. No, we gave Emily a lot of opportunities to pray out loud that trip, whether she wanted them or not. But we started easy. So now you see the rest of the story. Here's a guy with 3,000 bug bites on his legs, turning to a person he loves in the middle of a group he loves and throwing down a challenge for something she has wanted to do to grow before the Lord. And God rewarded it with worship. You know, in 1 Chronicles 21, 24, it's a great story. King David had sinned. Uh, he chose, he was given the choice of three punishments. He chose death to many Israelites. And the death angel started wiping people out. And David was crying out, Lord, why are you taking, why are you taking these sheep because of my sin? And the death angel stopped. He stopped at Ornan's threshing floor. And the angel through a prophet told David, you need to build an altar and you need to worship because God has relented and it's going to be okay from here forward. And, and so David went and he said, Ornan, I need to worship here. And Ornan said, no problem, king. Hey, I'll give you the threshing floor. I'll give you the animals. I'll give you the wood. And David said, hold on a minute. I don't think you got my meaning. And David said, no, but I will surely... Buy it for the full price. For I will not take what is yours for the Lord or offer a burnt offering which costs me nothing. So you realize that we're all the worshipers on Sunday morning. It's not this group of people up here and an audience out there. It's, it's all of us worshiping together God, the Father, giving him his due, right? Well, I got convicted of this a long time ago. Do I prepare for Sunday morning worship like I do going to McDonald's to buy fries? Or do I prepare for Sunday morning worship 
like I do when I'm preparing for a very important interview that might make or break my career. Because there's a huge difference. We're each responsible for the hard work of worship. You know, the greatest commandment, when Jesus was asked, Master, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Okay, it depends on whether you read it in Matthew or Mark. I'm going I'm to read that. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to emphasize four words. You ready? All, 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 all. You know, we pass the offering plate during worship. No. We pass the offering plate as worship. Folks, there have been times in my life when I've had my tithe check, and I'm putting it in. Lord, my kids are doing without what I consider wants, but some people around me consider needs. And Lord, this money would buy those things. And Father, if you don't come through with all those promises about taking care of us, my family is sunk. Lord, I trust you. I mean, perhaps the offering time is one of the most challenging times of worship. And it's just a physical representation of what the rest of worship is also. Yes, we're all responsible to show up ready to worship. And you know what? There are times when I just barely drag in here. I kind of feel beat up. I don't know about you. Life's pretty challenging sometimes. And I think that is, this is one of the huge reasons for community worship is when I don't have anything to give, those around me worshiping in spirit and in truth kind of hit the restart button. They kind of jumpstart my worship. They kind of reinvigorate my understanding of the accuracy of reality. So one time, it was about 2013, I think, we were going on a family reunion trip. I really did not want to go because the only car that we had to take was a piece of junk. And our bank account was low enough that if that piece of junk broke down, I wasn't sure we could cover it. And I do not like going, I don't like tight margins monetarily. However, family reunions are kind of a religion in my wife's family. So we went. We were in Nebraska the end of the first day. It was nighttime. We were about to the hotel and we hit a huge pothole. Kathunk, 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 kathunk. And it wasn't a tire. Oh, great. You know, I start immediately trying to control my attitude, but I'm losing. So we get to the hotel, Colette and I talk about it. Obviously, I've got to go out first thing the next morning and find a mechanic in a foreign town. Sure enough, I went. Sure enough, the mechanic came to me and said, oh, you've got a big problem trying not to smile with the dollar signs in his eyes, right? And, uh, and I, oh, I, I tried every way I could to wiggle out of that. I just couldn't. It was going to be expensive, and it was going to take a long time. And I stomped. I didn't, oh, no, I didn't stomp. I had control. In my mind, I was stomping out of that mechanic shop, and I was whining. I was not worshiping. God, this is not provision. You know, it's not just this car, Lord, but this hasn't been provisioned for the last two years of our life, and this is just a symptom of it. I mean, this is where I was. I am not proud of this. I obviously did not have an accurate view of reality, and I was really struggling. I knew better, and I was struggling. 
I walked down the road trying to cool off, and there was a Lutheran church. I walked in. It was open. There was nobody in the sanctuary. I walked in and sat down. And in a few moments, a guy came to me and said, are you okay? Uh, I said, yeah. I'm, you know what? I'm just trying. I'm try I need a quiet place to try to reset. I don't even remember what I said. He said, well, I'm the organist here, and I was going to practice real quick, but if you need quiet. I said, oh, no. Oh, no. That'd be great. Would you play something? He said, well, what do you want to hear? I said, well, we're in a Lutheran church. How about a mighty fortress is our God? And that brother walked up to the organ. It was incredible. <laughs> I don't, you can put yourself in moments of worship and they come back to you, right? And that brother, I couldn't do on my own what worshiping in community did. I think the, I think the Trinity received worship in that moment, in that, those few moments. And I certainly grew free in those moments in that church. So... Whether you have a lot or a little to offer this morning, it's all right because you're surrounded by a community. And we're, we're done talking about worship. Now we're going to worship. Bob, a couple weeks ago, talked about Jack Stack Barbecue. And of course, he was talking about barbecue. And when you want to tell your friends about Jack Stack, you don't just tell them about it. You order it all and go eat. Well, we're talking about life and community. We're going to try some things this morning that you can do when you are in those small groups of community, when you feel like you just need to worship Oh, but we don't have somebody who sings. Big deal. That's only one way to worship. There's myriads of ways to worship the Lord. So, don't worry. I didn't ask if we could bring in a rain machine. Although, oh, that would be great. The prayer room is open. Actually, the prayer room is always open during the service. If you need to, you know, if you get a, a thought that you need to obtain a physical position before the Lord that shows the mental attitude of worship that you have right now, and it's just too much to do it out here, hey, you can go back there and do it. That's great. Uh, oftentimes in worship, I get convicted of something that is standing between me and God that I need to get right before I can kind of move on. Um, if you need to grab somebody and do that back there, whatever. Uh, it helps me sometimes to write down that plan to do that if it's something I can't do immediately in the moment. When we do communion, by the way, we're going to, we're going to pass the offering as worship. We're going to do communion as worship. When we do communion, we'll have anointing available at either side. The whole rest from this point forward in the service, we've got markers. You can write on the back window. Uh, you can come over and do prayers, whatever. If you have never tried kneeling at the altar while the congregation is singing, 
and having that kind of wash over you, oh, I highly recommend it. Uh, if you've never tried taking notes, you know, your mind kind of, it, it, it wants to go places, critiquing what I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. To rip it back to worshiping the Lord, sometimes taking notes is very helpful. Or praying, writing your prayers. Somehow, sometimes writing your prayers can slow your mind and make it back on track. I'm going to practice spoken worship between the hymns. And if the Lord prompts you to come up and practice spoken worship, I'll be on the front row between hymns, and you can come talk to me about it, and I'll help facilitate that challenge for you between worship because there is a very distinct possibility that one or more people in this room have something to tell us about God that none of us have ever realized that would only blossom the worship. So basically what we have is space for worship risks. We have space and nothing is forced. I do, however, challenge you, be fully present from this point forward until the end of the service. Worship God the Father through the Holy Spirit in you and Jesus in you in spirit and in truth in whatever way you need to do that. You can sit or stand as you feel the need. So I'm going to kind of prime the pump. Here's some of the stuff I'm hoping that we'll, we'll learn about God today. I'm hoping that somebody will get, will, will get inspired to tell us something about for your area of expertise where God showed you himself and you said, wow, that none of the rest of us could get. You know, perhaps if you're an astrophysicist, the best you could do is write out a huge equation on the wall back there and say, I know you don't get this, but this points to God. And, and there may be ways that that would cause somebody else to worship in ways that nothing else would today. I'm just saying, for instance, Daryl Decker told me these things. Based on what we know about flight, a bumblebee should not be able to fly. The wings are too small. The body's too big. Wow, that's pretty incredible, God. Do you know that the richest person on earth does not have enough money to feed all the birds on the earth for one day? And yet Matthew chapter 6 says, look at the birds of the air that they do not, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, and yet what? Your heavenly Father feeds them. Wow, God, I can't even imagine you planting enough bird feed for all those birds. Do you know that scientists estimate that there are 10 to the 24th of stars? I can't even, actually they estimate, yeah, at least... That's 10 with 24 zeros behind it. Uh, septillion, is that an accurate word? You mathematicians who would know such things? That's a septillion of stars. Now there are 200 known languages on the earth today. English is the one with the biggest vocabulary, the most known words. English has 750,000 vocabulary words. Now if Every other language, the other 200 languages, had 750,000 vocabulary words, which they don't. But if they did, that would be 150 million words. We don't even have enough words in the known languages 
to start naming the stars. And yet Isaiah 40 says, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created all these stars. The one who leads forth their hosts by number, he calls them all by septillion of names. Wow. Wow. 